Good morning, everyone. I'm Timo Sazo. If you recognize my face, it's because I was an intern here. Um, and I guess we're technically still members at this church, my wife and I and, uh, and our kids. Uh, but I was an intern here for, for a year, and now um, I'm elsewhere, uh, and still in the area, and preparing for my ordination exams, and also um, building a team um, because we are hoping to plant a church in Reston, Virginia uh, later this year. So if you wanna hear more about that, come to me after the sermon. I'm not intending to steal anyone from uh, Potomac Hills, but if you wanna come, you know, we'll take you. So, um, so today we uh, continue your series through the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll be looking at chapter 16, verses 18 through the end of chapter 18. So that's two and a half chapters. It's a long section and it's not an easy passage. So before we jump in, let's pray. Our Father, this is your word. And so we ask you that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. By your spirit, give us understanding, make us perceptive, receptive, and willing to obey. Increase our faith and help us rejoice in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, so I don't know what music you're listening to these days, but um, in my house, we are listening uh, to a lot of the Lion King soundtrack. And uh, the Lion King is such a good movie, uh, especially, you know, the songs, you know, so much so that after almost 30 years uh, since it premiered, we're still watching the movie and singing the songs in the car and at home. Um, in light of scripture today, I think it's also a good movie to think about because different characters in the movie represent different attitudes toward leadership and authority, which is the, the theme for our sermon. There's King Mufasa, you know, who, uh, who's the be benevolent leader who uses his authority for the good of the animal kingdom. Or, yes, well, that's Disney, but anyway, um, for, for the kingdom, right? There's Zazu, sounds like my last name, but it's not. Zazu, who believes in the goodness of the monarchy and advocates for good leadership. There's Scar, Mufasa's evil brother, who just can't wait to be king so that he can take all the power and use it for his own advantage. And there's also the heir to the throne, Simba, who also just can't wait to be king. Not to lord it over others, but simply to have no one saying do this, no one saying be there, no one saying stop that, no one saying see here, to be free to run around all day, to be free to do it all my way. Well, while, while those characters are a good sample of the various attitudes toward leadership and authority that we find, there's certainly not all the attitudes available or out there. Uh, there's also those who are deeply suspicious of any type of leadership, either because they've, they value autonomy and self-sufficiency above all things, um, or because they've seen uh, misuses of authority. And so the solution for those people is to get rid of all authority and to make every, everyone equal in every way. There's also those who see authority as a necessary evil, 
And the solution is that there's no solution. You, know, you just deal with it. There's also those who believe that the problem is not authority, but that the, the, the people that we have in positions of authority are weak and that we need stronger leaders who have more power and more authority. So luckily, all of us fit in one or maybe more of those descriptions or categories in our attitudes toward authority. Well, this is when God comes to us in his word and tells us, I think it's time when you and I arrange a heart-to-heart. Because we all need some realignment and, and fine-tuning when it comes to authority and leadership. Um, so, since the beginning of the year, you here at Potomac Hills have been considering the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. And if you are visiting with us for the first time or you just need a recap, this is what Deuteronomy is about. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to the people of Israel before they enter the promised land of Canaan. And it's Moses' Moses' reminder to Israel of who God is, what he has done for them, and what it looks like to live as God's people in God's land under God's rule. God had rescued Israel out of bondage in Egypt, given them the law, had preserved them through their long journey in the desert, and was about to give them the, the land that he had promised them, and he was about to go before them as they conquered the land. And so far, we've seen that in the first 11 chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses emphasizes the need uh, to know the Lord, to love the Lord, to remember the Lord, to obey the Lord. In chapter 5 specifically, Moses reiterates the, the Ten Commandments, God's law, which he gave, you know, we, we see that also in Exodus 20. And in, in the rest of the chapters in Deuteronomy, or almost the end, uh, all of the chapters left, Moses gives a detailed explanation or detailed exposition of each of these Ten Commandments. Okay? The last week's sermon, as, I, as far as I understand, cha- uh, covered chapter 14, in which Moses elaborates on the third commandment. Okay, so today we should be looking at the fourth commandment, but Pastor Dave wants to preach on that. And because he's the boss, he gets to change the order and confuse everyone. Um, But we humbly submit to his leadership. Um, Any questions or complaints, email Dr. Dave. So today we'll be looking at at the section in Deuteronomy dealing with the fifth commandment. And the fifth commandment is, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, as we go through the passage, you'll notice that there's very little mention of fathers and mothers. And that's because God's commandments have a broad application. They extend to all areas of life. And so while honor your father and your mother includes, of course, mom and dad, it's about much more than just mom and dad. So then, how should we view and how should we respond 
to our fathers and our mothers. Or in other words, how should we view and respond to our leaders? Here's, I believe, the main idea in this passage. God gives us leaders for our good as a reflection of his leadership over us. One of the ways we worship God is by honoring our leaders. Let me say that again. God gives us leaders for our good as a reflection of his leadership over us. And one of the ways we worship God is by honoring, honoring our leaders. Okay? So we won't read the entire two and a half chapters, but only a few selected sections. So let's start with chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. And I would recommend that you keep your Bible open because we'll be reading a lot. 16, verses 18 through 20. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, that, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the, blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, so let's stop there. So these verses, I think, give us a general principle that runs through the rest of the passage. It establishes who the parties are and how they should operate. So there will be those who are leaders, the fathers and mothers, uh, and by implication, there will be those who follow the leaders, or the children, as it were. Um, what's not implied, but rather made quite explicit, is the manner in which everyone, fathers, mothers, children, leaders, and followers, should act. Or the main value that should determine every action. And that is justice. Now, the passage doesn't give us a definition of justice, but in the context of Deuteronomy, it's clear that justice is whatever reflects the character of God. His goodness, His wisdom, His holiness, His truth. And so everyone should do what is good, wise, holy, and true as determined by God because He is the supreme leader. Okay, so from the very start, we must note that people, human beings, are, are not the only parties involved in this leadership dynamic. God is the main party. He is the supreme leader. And all authority comes from Him. And He determines how authority should operate. So all human leadership is derived from God and accountable to Him. And He takes very seriously how we use the authority he entrusts us with. Because it's a reflection of his authority. It's borrowed from him. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but right here from the beginning, we have a glimpse of the, of the way God wants people, 
his people and even this entire world to operate in the context of leadership. That's in a way that honors him first and that promotes the well-being and thriving of everyone else because his design is good. So much more could be said, but we have a long passage ahead of us. So in the rest of the passage, we, uh, we see that there are three groups of leaders that are discussed. Priests, kings, and prophets. Okay, so let's look first at priests. Let's read verses, chapter 17, verses 8 through 10. If any, case, if any case arises requiring decision between one kind of homicide and another, one kind of legal right and another, or one kind of assault or another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go up to the place that the Lord your God will choose. And you shall come to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office in those days, and you shall consult them, and they shall declare to you the decision. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from the place that the Lord will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you. Okay, so this section connects the, the passage we just read before, connects with that. In each town in Israel, there will be judges and officers who will judge the people. And the judges and officers likely had a similar function that our judges today and our officers have today. Judges evaluated cases and made decisions and officers fostered order and enforced rules. But when those judges and officers encountered a case that was too difficult, they were to consult with other judges and with the Levitical priests. Now, the Levitical priests only lived in certain towns, and their main role was religious. You know, they served in the tabernacle, that is, the tent in which God met with his people in a special way. The priests would offer sacrifices and teach God's law to the people. That was their main role. But apparently, they also had an occasional judicial role to play, most likely because they were the people who had direct access to God's word and knew it the best. They knew the law the best. And so God gave his people, judges and priests, for their good, to provide wisdom and direction in difficult situations. And so at some point or another, we all encounter decisions or experiences that are too um, difficult for us, situations that are too difficult for us, and we find ourselves needing to consult with someone who's been around longer, who has more insight, or who can just tell us what to do. Has a, that's a parent, or a teacher, or, I don't know, a town mayor. Um, but it, it's just built into our nature in the way that God made us that we are not the source of all truth and wisdom, and that we need other people. That's how it, it was back then in Israel, and that's how it is today. So I think pastors and 
spiritual spiritual mentors are probably a good modern day analogy for the Levitical priests. Trying to not be self-serving here, but um, you wouldn't necessarily go to your pastor for um, legal advice, right? Unless your pastor happens to be a lawyer. Where's Frank Pugh? Is Frank Pugh here? Okay, out of town. Okay, well, I needed to talk to him about something. Um, so, but you would go to your pastor or your rabbi or your pastor-like figure uh, for general counsel and advice. Of course, you're not legally bound to follow your pastor's advice. But God has placed them as your spiritual leaders for your benefit. To help you, to guide you, to rebuke you when necessary. And to comfort you with the truth of the gospel. So God has given us those leaders for our benefit. And we should honor them. And at the very least, seek their advice and take it seriously. Let's look at the second group of leaders. That's kings. Uh, um, chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. And when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you um, is giving you, you and you possess it and dwell in it, and then you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed choose uh, sorry, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among you, among your brothers, you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law in these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Okay. Here, Moses foresees a time when after Israel, once Israel is settled in, in the land, they will request for a king. They will ask for a king, a political leader for the entire nation. And so Moses gives them guidelines for setting a king. And what's interesting about the guidelines Moses gives here is that they're so counterintuitive, so non-political. He doesn't say, you guys need someone strong, a winner, someone su successful, someone who's got a vision, a strategy for consolidating and expanding the interests and influence of our nation, someone who would inspire fear in our enemies. No, he says that the king has to be someone who's 
faithful to his wife. I think that's what it means by not acquiring many wives. And austere. Someone who will seriously study God's word and put it into practice. Someone who's humble and committed to walking in God's ways. In other words, Israel as a theocracy, that is a, a nation governed by God's laws, needed not, not merely a king, but a godly king. And that was for their good and their prosperity. Well, pretty much everywhere you look in the world and history, societies, societies have come up with some kind of government where typically one person is at the top. A suzerain, a lord, a chief, a king, top dog, whatever it is. And it's work, worked out to varying degrees, though never perfectly. Now, this is America, and we have perfected democracy, and we don't need no kings, right? At least we don't have them, or we think we don't. Well, whatever the case, our circumstances are very different from Old Testament Israel. And so how do these regulations regarding kings apply to us? Well, we do, have, we do still have a political system, and we do still have political leaders. That's state, uh, local, state, and federal levels. Some of them keep the country running, other design laws, others make sure that the laws are followed. And to what end? Well, ideally, so that there would be equality, protection of rights, access to services. Like many other modern nations, the U.S. is not a Christian nation either by constitution or by practice. And so we really shouldn't expect our political leaders to be godly in a Christian sense. But however, by vir virtue of their role and position, we should expect them to act justly, truthfully, wisely, and with some level of moral decency. Right? So what should we do? as a response to our political leaders. Well, Romans 13 teaches us that our call is to respect our leaders, whoever they are, and to pray for them and follow them in all the things that don't contradict God's word. So whether we like it or not, whether we like them, our leaders or not, God has given them to us for our benefit. And we should be grateful for them and for what they do. It may be some of us here today work at one of those levels. And I just want to say we're grateful for you. We're, we're grateful for what you do to serve our communities and our nation. And we pray that the Lord would empower you to continue serving everyone well. So that's so priests, kings, and now we will look at prophets. Let's look at chapter 18, verse 15, and then verses 18 through 20. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Verse 18. 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among, the, uh, among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And so in the Old Testament context, prophets were usually men who spoke to the people on behalf of God. And thus far in Israel history, there haven't really been many prophets. Moses has really been the only prophet, the one who received words from God and delivered them to the people. But once Israel is settled in the land, and especially as the monarchy is established, we start seeing more prophets. We see an emergence of many prophets even. So in the days of the monarchy, the prophets still act as God's spokespersons, but their messages are not necessarily new revelations from God, although sometimes they are. Rather, their main function is to advocate for the things that God has already revealed. They are covenant advocates. So they call the people to be faithful to God's covenant. And so in this passage, Moses helps the people of Israel discern between true and false prophets and tells them how they should respond to them. He also tells them that one day the Lord would raise a prophet like him. And Deuteronomy concludes with an affirmation that there has not arisen a prophet since uh, a prophet since those days, I guess, um, in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Right. Now the question is, who is that prophet? And the Sunday school answer is. Jesus. Okay, but we'll get there soon. Nowadays, we, we don't have prophets, at least not in the Old Testament way. Although, in, in society, we do find people who seem to have a special ability to understand the times. Historians, philosophers, journalists, artists. Um, some people call Bob Dylan a prophet. Um, activists um, we don't necessarily think that these people speak on behalf of God but we do recognize their ability to, to understand the times and even in, in the church sometimes we find people from time to time who seem to have a special spiritual attunement um, but I'm not sure we should call them prophets as such or see them as such Rather, I think it's more proper to see the role of preachers as having a prophetic character. Because preachers are the ones who have been called and recognized as those who teach God's word to the people. So what this means for us is that we should pay attention to those who speak to us from Scripture, authoritatively from Scripture. Especially those who handle Scripture well and those who've been called 
to the office of preaching and teaching. God has given us those people for our good. Now, before moving forward, let me just say a quick word about some of the sections we skipped. Okay? So, this section about priests, kings, and prophets is interwoven with various instructions for worship. And I believe that, um, that these three types of leaders relate to the idea of worship in this way. Just as God cares about how we exercise leadership and how we follow our leaders, He also cares about how we worship. Just as our, our leadership says something about God, the way we worship says something about God and how we have access to Him. And that's why God is so serious about worship. And that's why we see some pretty severe penalties for worshiping in ways that God did not instruct. Okay, so it's not that God, it's not that God doesn't want you to be, doesn't want us to be free or creative or expressive. Rather, it's that He cares, He wants to be very clear about the nature of our relationship to Him. Okay? So if, if you go back to the passage and see some some pretty severe punish, punishments for people who are worshiping in the wrong way. That's, that's why I think it is. Okay, so in summary, God gave Israel priests, kings, and prophets for their good as a reflection of his leadership over them. And God gives us leaders of different kinds for our good as a reflection of his leadership over us. Now, of course, the, the elephant in the room uh, is that while God gives us leaders for our good, our leaders are not always good. Our leaders are always imperfect. And more than not, they are wicked. If we're able to recognize that, I think we should also be able and honest enough to recognize that we all do, in fact, or at least are capable of misusing and abusing whatever leadership positions or authority we have. I mean, we all tend to believe that we would do a better job than the next guy in, in a certain position of leadership. We all believe that we would never do the terrible things that that guy over there is doing. But the reality is that we all fail. And the history of Israel post Deuteronomy is a witness to that failure. The people became idolatrous. The kings became idolatrous and corrupt. The priests took bribes and charged money for sacrifices. The prophets made up revelations and feared, uh, feared foreign kings more than they feared God. And our leaders today fail too. Our leaders at home, our leaders in the church, our leaders in society. 
We hear it on the news almost every other day. And sometimes we ourselves suffer the consequences of their bad leadership. It's not only our leaders, it's also us. Just like Israel, we don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. We don't trust the Lord. We don't walk in His ways. You know, when was the last time that you looked back on your day and you said, I did it. Today, I love and obey the, God, the Lord perfectly. Well, you know where I'm going next. Because that's where every sermon of this, this, this church goes. But before we get there, I think we need to sit a bit longer on our failure. We need to feel the reality and weight of our sin. Because sin is not okay. It's not okay to disobey God. It's not okay to misrepresent God. It's not okay to abuse our positions of leadership and authority. Our sin right, rightly deserves God's wrath and punishment. And no amount of grace cancels that out. It should really break our hearts that our world, or people out there, and even ourselves, dishonor God and we dishonor the creatures made in his image. And so we should never downplay or minimize or just justify our sin. And on that point, that's why we Christians should be some of the first people who denounce abuse of power and authority at any level. That's why we should be the, the, some of the first ones to, peop, uh, to help people who are suffering under uh, or in abusive relationships. We should be the, the first to protect, help. This is why I, I think Christians should be okay with some level of revolution in the world. Because authority is not, human authority is not ultimate. It's subject to change when it, when it does not honor God. So our sin is not okay. But there is good news. Because the Bible does not merely tell us how to live and then just rub it on our faces when we fail. No, the Bible tells us that God has met us in our failure. God sent his son into the world and he was our perfect priest, the one who offered a perfect sacrifice, his own blood for our forgiveness. Jesus was our perfect king who protected and used his authority for the good of others. Jesus was our perfect prophet who spoke, spoke God's word and led us in the truth 
Jesus, the Lord Jesus, lived a sinless life. He submitted himself to proper authority. He never misused his authority. When he died on the cross, he took our unrighteousness and he gave us his righteousness. He was punished in our place so that we would go free. So Jesus' death on the cross was not a perversion of justice. God did not take a bribe. It was God's way of paying our debt so that we wouldn't have to. And so we get grace because God carried out justice. Jesus rose from the dead and he is now in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we don't need better leaders. We don't just need better leaders. We need a savior. We need Jesus. And it's Jesus who shows us the right way of using uh, our positions of leadership and authority, right? He used, he had all the power. He could have sent a legions, legions of angels to destroy his enemies. He could have done whatever he wanted with his power. And yet he used it to save and serve others. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he gives us his spirit to empower us to live in a way that is different from the world, in a way better than Israel lived. So our passage today, I think it realigns our views on leadership and authority. Leadership and authority are good. They are a reflection of God's character. Human leadership and authority are not ultimate. They're derived and accountable to God. We don't need better leaders. We need a perfect leader, the Lord Jesus. And Jesus shows us the way. Serving others is the way that we use our authority and leadership. So, Brothers and sisters, let's do that. Let's serve others, bless them, and help them thrive as you're able in your positions of leadership and authority as we honor God doing all of that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it teaches us that you are good and that your design for our lives is good. Thank you that you give us leaders to direct us, to, uh, to benefit us, to uh, promote good in this world. Help us, Lord, to honor them. And when we have uh, those positions, help us honor everyone and honor you above all. Thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus our prophet, priest, and king, our perfect leader. In his name we pray. Amen.